0: Good morning, Big Valley Grace. Welcome to the beginning of Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. In the next several weeks, we're going to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. A special welcome to you who are in the cafe as well as in the venue. And we are here to celebrate the Lord and His coming. And particularly today, we're going to answer the question, at least attempt to answer the question, why in the world did He come? And a part of understanding why He came is to think about what did he leave when he, eventually, when he came? Uh, this is the beginning of Advent, so for the next several weeks, we won't have the lighting of the candles, but it, we will be preparing ourselves for the coming of the celebration of Christ's come and his birth and his incarnation. I don't know what traditions you have in your home, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't begun anything, that you make these next few days uh, very special in your home. And we've selected a book that's available in the nook. Isn't that interesting? A book in the nook. (laughs) But it's uh, by Max Lucado. It's titled In the Manger. And we have, um, I don't know how many exactly we have, but uh, we've ordered 200. And there's a bunch that are there in the nook. And we encourage you to pick one of them up. But there's 25 little chapters. uh, And each one prepares us and prepares our heart for the coming of Christ. Um, in our own home, we had our own little traditions, and part of it was to help our children understand what the true meaning of Christmas is, because there's so many different competing voices out there. And so something like this is very, very helpful. I would even encourage uh, doing the wreath around your home. Today would be the lighting of the, of the prophecy candle. Each one of those candles that's led in that, in that wreath is a, a, some attempt to say, on this day, this day is different than all other days. In this day, it's about how he was predicted to come. And on this day, the angels rejoiced. On, on this day is this Christ's day, the purity candle. So I encourage you to do something like that to help your children and your grandchildren focus on what the true meaning of Christ is. Last night when I walked in, uh, uh, one of my friends said, I bet this Christmas season is tough. And the reason he said that is, you know, how do you find uh, something new in this story? And actually, as um, one who's been a pastor for a while, uh, Christmas seasons and Easter seasons have always have been very challenging for me to think, like, how do we approach this story that I've been hearing all of my life, and how do we find freshness and newness in it? And as I considered this week, as Rick asked me to prepare for this, for this particular uh, Sunday and the, what is coming up, uh, I had to think, you know, wh- why do we tell this story again and again and again? and i want to suggest to you that maybe there's four reasons why we ought to be telling this story again and as you came in you received a program and there's a study sheet with some blanks that you can fill in encourage you to follow along and there's a lot of verses that we'll be using today and i'll be uh, referencing them there will be a portion of them that we will read but i really would hope that you would go home and you would open the bible and look at these passages in Ezekiel and some of the other places that are there underline them in your bible become familiar with the word I encourage you always to bring a Bible here, and if you don't have one, we have some that are available to you, and that would be true in the cafe as well as in the venue. Uh, We want you to have the Word of God and make that a priority in your life in the reading of this Word. But again, I want you to think through with me why we tell this story again and again and again. And I think one of the reasons why we need to tell this story again and again and again is that we, we need to renew the awe that we once had. Uh, it, it, when things become familiar, it, it is so easy to lose the wonder of something. And Paul Tripp said, "Is that that our heart? Whatever captures our heart's attention, whatever captures our heart's wonder, that's what we give our life for. That's that's what we live for. Isn't that true?" And as and in fact, you've experienced this only in, in your marriage. Remember how exciting those first weeks and months of your marriage were, and as time... Progress things just kind of became casual and familiar, and you're constantly re, you know, re trying to recapture and renew that love that you have for your spouse. Well, much the same way, we need to tell the story and recapture the wonder and the awe of what took place. And a part of that is understanding where Jesus came from, what did He leave, and why in the world did He come. And it's my hope today, as we go through these scriptures, that I'll help each of us, including myself, just recapture and rekindle. The wonder and the awe that ought to be ours as we consider the incarnation, him taking on our humanity and walking in our shoes. I think there's another reason why we need to tell this story again. And and I got a text last night from uh, from a gal that has been in our follow class. And this was her first Christmas. This is her first Christmas in the Lord. And there may be some of you that are even here today, and, and maybe in the cafe and the venue. This is your this is your first real Christmas. Now you celebrated Christmas as as a kids, but uh, you were caught up in the world's view of Christmas. But now that you are in Christ, and now that you are following Him, and now that you've been baptized, and you're standing with Him, this Christmas is altogether new to you. And I think it's important as we go. As we study the word, that we come back to what the what the real story of Christmas is all about. What what is this whole month about for us? And so there may be some of you that this is your first time, and, and then there's some of you, and and I would have been in this category. It's kind of a refit. It's kind of a redo. It's it's we. we it, over the course of our lives, it's so easy for the world to creep in and we capture a lot of the world's values. And we begin looking at this Christmas no longer with the awe, but we look it through secular eyes and we're captivated by all the things of Christmas. How many of you watch Hallmark movies? Don't be ashamed, raise your hand. <laughs> Probably each time that I preach, I'm gonna hit on Hallmark all the time. <laughs> we watch it. Good, there's good moral uh, values that are in it, but there's just some things that just really kind of... It ticked me off, I guess. (laughs) And now it's homework season, right, with Christmas. And what's the big deal about homework things? It's the magic of Christmas. Everything is magical, right? (laughs) And all of the incredible decorations and the secularization of Christmas, very little is ever mentioned, if any at all, about the Lord. And that creeps into all of our lives. Easy, easy, easy for us to get get caught up. And as Rick said last week, the incredible sales and The sad things that are taking place in our culture that somehow thinks that having a a larger TV makes a difference in anyone's life. And they'll fight for things like that that are just so lame, right? But even as well-meaning as we might be in wanting to be true to the Lord, it's so easy for the secularization to creep into our lives and we don't even know it sometimes and, uh, and so we need to really come back and renew ourselves and then i think the last reason why we need to tell this story again and again and again is because of our own responsibility to equip and to teach our children and to teach our grandchildren to even talk about it in the office place with the people that we work with about really what what Christ is all about why in the world did he come It's my hope that today, that as we look at the passage here in in John chapter 1, as well as Philippians chapter 2, that we'll renew our sense of awe, that we'll be able to retell the story in an accurate way, that we'll have a greater appreciation for why in the world did he came, and that we might enjoy him more, that we might love him more. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 1? We're going to look at some selected selected verses in John chapter 1. And then we're going to flip right on over to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to put these things together. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It has been published for you in the bulletin if you want to read along. I'm going to add a few more verses in Philippians. So if I go off the page, it's okay. But I want you to hear the word of God. It's it's good to read it. It's good to revisit it. So listen to John chapter 1. As John retells this story. Now before I read it, let me just explain a little bit about the difference in the Gospels. There's four gospels, four books that talk about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting as you look at these gospels, they're different perspective even of the story. They don't contradict each other. They complement each other. But the sequence, I find it really intriguing. It is thought that Mark was the first to write. So when you look at the book of Mark, you won't find the nativity story in the book of Mark. He is captivated by the life of Christ from about 30 years old to 33 years old. And you'll see dramatic miracles. And and Mark presents Christ as the one who can calm the seas, stop the wind, heal the blind, make the lame walk again, was crucified, rose from the dead, is coming again. And it's all about power. It's all about the mightiness of this man who is not just a man, but who is God in the flesh. Matthew, though, writes from a, a prophetic standpoint, and as you look at the book of Matthew over 18 times, he references back into the Old Testament and the stories of, of Jesus and Matthew validate Old Testament prophecies. And so right out of the gate in Matthew 1, chapter 1 and chapter 2, Matthew is going back to the Old Testament and saying, see, 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 the one that we have waited for a long, long for years and years and years, He came. We were with him, we saw him, we touched him, we listened to the things that he shared, we embraced them, and yet you crucified him. The one that we had been waiting for, you crucified, but I'm telling you, he's coming again. That's the theme of Matthew. Luke takes another perspective, and he's more like a journalist, and he has a friend named Theophilus, and he writes two books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he wants to establish the record, the true record of Jesus, And so there's some things that are mentioned in Matthew that aren't mentioned in Luke. It's not because they didn't happen. It's just the emphasis of what each writer wants to to place. And so in the book of Luke, the story begins not with Mary and Joseph. The story begins with Elizabeth and Zachariah who were old and childless and a miracle takes place in life. And John the Baptist shows up on the scene and the connection that Mary has to Elizabeth and the pregnancy and the, the incredible display of angelic uh, announcement that Christ has come, the Savior has been born and peace on earth and all the things that took place up to, to the time that he's 12 years old. That's Luke. John is the last to write and it's as though that he looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't deny anything that's there but he says, but the story really doesn't begin with Elizabeth and Zechariah. <laughs> it begins before the beginning and <clears throat> And the one who existed before all other things, he's the one that showed up. And that's why we're starting in the book of John today. So if you're with me, John chapter 1, listen as I read. And I'm going to add just a few things into it just to give the, the, the verses a little bit more depth. then this is what uh, these words mean. So John writes, he's an eyewitness. He was with Jesus every day of his three and, three, three and a half years of ministry. And he writes, it says, in the beginning, before anything else ever was, was the Word, the Logos, the spoken Word of God. And this Logos, the Word, was with God. And the Word, the spoken Word, was God. And he was with God in the beginning. It was through him, through the spoken Word, all things were made. For without him, nothing was made that has been made. And it was in him, the spoken word of God, It was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Look, Drop down to verse 10. So he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, he spoke it into existence. The world didn't recognize him. And so think about that. In spite of all of the miracles that he did, the feeding of the 5,000, the making the blind able to see, the deaf able to hear. Touching a young boy who is in the process of being buried to, and he comes back to life again and his returned to his mother. Lazarus who comes out of the tomb. In spite of all that, John says the world didn't recognize him. Verse 11, it says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet here's this wonderful promise in verse 12, yet to all who receive him, even those who would receive him today, To those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You're part of God's family. Children born not of human descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God, born again. And this word, this logos, that was in the beginning, it was with God and was God, this word became flesh, took on humanity, and made his dwelling among us, And John says, and we, he's not referring just to the 12 disciples. He's referring to all who were following him at that time, which numbered as many as 70 or possibly even a larger number. And it says, we have seen him. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, And says, this Logos, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. This Logos, who's before everything else began, who became flesh and dwelt amongst us, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death. On the cross, he went the entire distance for you and for me. And because this is true, in verse nine, says, therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, every tongue, even the ones who are most against Christ today, every tongue will confess that Jesus the Christ, the promised and anointed one is Lord, Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. Would you join me as I pray? Father, I thank you so much for the power and the truthfulness of your word. It's hard to grasp, Lord, why in the world you would even come and what it was like before you came and what you left behind that we might have life in you. But Lord, I'm glad you did. So glad, Father, that you came to me and that you came for me and you called me by name. Thank you, Lord, for each one that could say the same thing here today. And we look forward to the day when you'll return again and we see you face to face and all the promises that you have made. Lord, we look forward to experiencing you, to hearing you say, welcome home. And so, Lord, would you take these words here today, Lord, you empower them through your Holy Spirit. to open our hearts our hearts, our eyes, our minds, to receive, Lord, what you would have for us here today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Max Lucado wrote in the manger in the little book that you'll be picking up. He says, the omnipotent, the one I just spoke about, in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. Can you imagine And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a a young girl. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So when I think about the question, why did Jesus come? I I first start thinking, what did he leave behind? He came from somewhere, right? And so whatever existed before he came here, what was that like? What did he give up? That would be some, somewhat significant. What, is, what, 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 what was it like if we could have seen him before he humbled himself and came and took on her humanity? What, what did he leave behind? I'm going to suggest that there's three things that, that he left behind. And we won't be turning to these scriptures, but I encourage you to look them up as you go home today. The first thing that he left behind, the Bible's really clear, is he left behind his glory. He left behind his glory. Now what in the world was that glory like? There's several different places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk about his glory. It first shows up in Exodus when when Moses wants to see the glory of God and, 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 and the Lord has to put his hand to block himself as Moses is looking on just to protect Moses. But after Moses saw his glory, nobody could look at Moses. He shone with the glory of God. He had to put something over his face because for him to have even a conversation, his countenance would have been so dynamic that we couldn't even look at him. Gives us a little taste about it. Ezekiel, when he saw the glory of God, tried to describe it. In fact, Paul writes, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. And so the, the ability for us to write and to describe is beyond any words or anything that we could describe it. It's indescribable and yet he tries to describe it. And what he says is, when I looked at the throne of God, it, it was like sapphire. And he who was up on the throne below his waist was like was like melt, melted metal. and above his waist was as brilliant as the sun and around him was like a rainbow, the radius of a rainbow. It was brilliant. But he also said it was indescribable. When Jesus was on the mountain, he was transfigured and his, and his human shell was peeled away, and the disciples were able to see his glory. The writers write, they said that his, his son was as bright as the his face was as bright as the sun, and his clothing was brilliant full of light. When I think about his glory, I wonder, I don't know for sure. But I wonder if Adam and Eve were not clothed with the glory of God. They walked with the Lord day after day. I don't know what the distance was, was from their creation to their fall. But there was time that they were looking forward to being with God in the garden. They were in his presence. And I wonder by being in his presence, if they weren't clothed with light. And the reason I say this is because when they sinned, the light went off. Can you imagine being clothed in light and all of a sudden the light's not there and you're stripped away and there you are with nothing. How empty that might have felt for them. I think that's a real possibility. And Jesus in his prayer says, oh Lord, I am so eager for these men to see my glory that I had with you before the beginning of time. The second thing I think that Jesus left behind is that he left his position When the scriptures talk about his position and where he sat, he sat at the right hand of the Father. And there he has always been, and that is where he is now. At the right hand of the Father. He is home now. And being at the right hand of the Father and having always have been there. There's never a time where he wasn't there. And this is where some of the cults get it all wrong. You can't make a big enough deal about who Jesus is and his deity is. Because he has always been there. There's never been a time where the the right hand of God was empty. He has always has been there. And so when you read throughout the stories, particularly in Job chapter one and chapter two, when when Satan is coming before the throne and all of these angels are coming in reporting for wherever it is that they are there and the angels are swirling around the throne of God and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He was and is and is to come. Jesus was there and they were swirling around him too. He left his position for you and me. When he says he did not consider equality with God something to grasp, he was willing to let that go, that position. The third thing that I think the Lord let go, and, and I don't have a good word for this, and so but I'm gonna use a word right out of Philippians, and it says he left equality with God. Did not consider the, be, being there, knowing his position, his glory, but also there's an aspect of his character he left behind. Now he didn't become less God when he came upon the earth but there was things that he chose to forsake because never ever in the past did he ever experience hunger. Never in the past did he ever get tired and need to rest. Never in the past was he ever ridiculed and scorned and mocked. He, he left folks, he left that behind. He left behind all the praise of the angels. He left behind, and in fact, what the Lord's Prayer says, Father, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. His will was done all the time, but not when he was walking here on earth. He tells his disciples in the scriptures there, he tells his disciples in Matthew, he says, Guys, uh, the foxes have holes. They have a place to go to at night. The birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Folks, I I I don't own anything. I don't have a home to go to. I don't have a wife to love. In fact, it is interesting as you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many times when the disciples would wake up, they'd look around and imagining they're camping out on the ground, and Jesus' bunk is empty and they are wondering where did he go now and they look up on the distance there he is on the hillside early in the morning before even dawn would arise he'd be spending time with his dad the father Can you imagine how homesick Jesus was I think those retreats that he had where he could just spend time with the father he so badly wanted to go back home you ever been homesick like that my wife and I have been in some wonderful travels, wonderful places. Sometimes I wish someone would just pay me just so I could travel. (laughs) But isn't it true? I mean, some of you have traveled too and you've gone to some pretty nice places, but is isn't always good to come home, be home, be where all your stuff is, (laughs) to be with your friends. I think Jesus was homesick every single day. And folks, what he left, and I, I and I know that even as I have tried to describe it, it's just inadequate. William Dreyer, who was a well known uh, pastor in the 17th century, wrote this. He said, Jesus uncrowned himself to crown us. And he put off robes to put on our rags. i me read that again. Let that sit with you. Now Christ, he uncrowned himself to crown us. And he put off his robes to put on our rags. So why did Jesus come? Why did he come? I'm going to suggest four reasons. And as I study this, I actually have 18 reasons on another sheet of paper that I found in scripture. And several verses that Uh, That uh, say the same thing. So I found 18 different reasons why Jesus came. Many of them you know already. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. I'm going to share with you four reasons that just jumped out at me as I studied these last few weeks, and I hope that will impress you too. And uh, with what, with the reason why he came. Number one, Jesus came to display his unlimited patience Jesus came to display his unlimited patience listen to what paul wrote in first timothy chapter 1 verses 15 and 7, 15 through 17 here's what he said paul writes here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst but for that very reason because he was the worst of all sinners. Paul says, I was shown mercy. And listen to this. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. And catch this. As an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Did you get that? Jesus came not to show unlimited patience to Paul, but he used Paul as an example to show that his unlimited, his unlimited patience is for you and for me. We are all sinners. We are all rebellious. We all have turned aside. We have all gone our own way. And God in his grace came to show his unlimited patience with you and me. By the grace of God, you are here today because of his incredible unlimited patience. How would you know that? How would you know that unless Jesus came? He came to show us the heart and the nature of the Father who is so patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know him. And he continues to wait. And he continues to display patience in me even today by God's grace as he has with you by his glory. Isn't that amazing? Number two, why did Jesus come? He came not only to display his unlimited patience, but get this, he came to destroy and to set free. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Listen to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, chapter two, verses 14 and 15. Catch this. Since the children have flesh and blood, and that's you and me, Christ too shared in their humanity so that by his death, listen to this, he might destroy him, who holds the power of death. Who's who? Who's that? The devil. And, and I love this verse in verse 15. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came so he could destroy the devil and all of his works but also to set us free from our fears and particularly the fear of death which is ultimately the ultimate fear that we might all have. Now, I want you to think about this with me that Jesus came to set us free from our fears. It would be interesting just to talk to each one of you and, and including myself and to say what is it that you fear? And we would hear a wide range of things. Some of you are here today and maybe are in the venue, in the cafe, that that you identify with this verse. There's a great fear of death that you have. Uh, and it's just, everything about you and, and you pray, Lord, help me to be safe today. I mean, there is just a fear of something bad happening to you and facing that end. Others of you it's fear of spiders. <laughs> it's fear of being alone. It's a, it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of harm, pain. Uh, I mean, we could, it's it's endless. It's the fear of the dark. It's the fear of the boogeyman under the bed. We have all of these fears. Imagine what kind of people you and I might be if we were to cast all of our fears upon him. And we became fearless people. That'd be amazing. I mean, just think what that, your fear is, what those big fears, if you can put them in a bucket and you can give them to Christ and you, and, you, and you embrace fully what Paul said in Romans chapter eight where he says, if the Lord is for us, who in the world could ever be against us? Imagine if we were so confident that he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never desert you. I'm always with you. Even, if Paul, even David said in Psalm 139, even if I ascend to the highest places and go to the depths, into the depths of the sea, there you are with me. In fact, you know all of my ways. You know what's gonna happen when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed. You know exactly where I'm gonna go and what the things I'm gonna say even before it comes out of my mouth. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me to even understand. That's our God. And he came to abolish the, the work of the enemy in our lives. He came to set us free from his bondages as well as all of our fears. And he is just waiting for us to cast our fears upon him. Because folks, imagine again what it would be like if each one of us were freed from our fears. Paul says that the Lord came and he gave us us not a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of good works. Oh, may the Lord set us free today. And I hope, you know, if you're here today and you are wrapped up with fear, that you would be so bold to go to the altar after we're done praying. And if you're in the venue, there's a place there where you can go to pray and meet with some folks. And you cast these things before the Lord and you begin living differently one day at a time, trusting in the Lord for the things that you are so fearful of that are so binding in your life. He came to set you free. He really did. That's what his word says. It's not what I'm saying. It's what his word says. Number three, not only did he come has to, unlimited patience and to set us free, but he also came First John says, the author John writes, he says that we might know him who is true. John says the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true and that we are in him who is true, who is the father, even Christ his son. So God's greatest desire is that you and I might know him. Not just know about him, but that we would know him Intimately. We would know that he, he never leaves us, he never deserts us, that he, we, we would know intimately that he has a plan for each of our lives and that he's able to work out all things good for those who love him, that we have such confidence in him to know that with his outstretched arms and his spoken word, that he made the heavens and earth nothing's too difficult for him and that, he, that we are his workmanship, that he has a plan for our life, that he's prepared things beforehand that we should walk in. If we were to know him so well, And our confidence would be so high in him because we know, like David, that my God is with me. Who can stand against me? But it isn't just to know him, but his desire is that we would be in him and he in us, and not just in the Father, but also in the Son. And that was Christ's greatest desire is that, Father, may they be one with us. And the joy that I have in you, may they have in me. And that together, for all of eternity future, we'd be in the Father and the Father would be in us and the Son would be in us and we'd be in the Son and thus we will ever be. That's why he came. So so eager for that. For each one of us that's here. It breaks his heart when we are far off away from him. It breaks his heart when we love the things that, that are so shallow and so small compared to the glories that he would have to give if we would just wait upon him and trust in him. Lastly, why did Jesus come? I think this is significant. In Romans 3, 25 through 26, it says he came to take our place so that God's demand for justice might be fully satisfied. Paul says in Romans 3, he says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. And so what the word atonement means, we don't use it very often, but what it means is that it fully satisfies the debt. And God presented Christ as an atonement. He took our place. He fully satisfied the debt. So there's nothing more to be paid ever again. When he came to the cross and his blood was shed, he took care of all of my sin before I knew Christ He took care of all my sin while I have been in Christ and he took care of all of my sin that's whatever lies in the future. It's all covered by Christ. Nothing is left undone. He can only die once but his blood was sufficient for it all. Isn't that amazing? And that atoning sacrifice satisfied the requirement that that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin that the penalty of sin is death and eternal separation with God and from God. And the debt that we have paid, that we have established is so great. Our rebellion is so significant. The gulf between us and God is so great, it's so so huge that no amount of any good things that we might ever do could ever cross cross that gulf. It took the eternal father to step across in his son to rescue us and to fully pay that debt. One of the things that often would happen when we were back out in Pennsylvania and we would hear stories of it is that there would be individuals that would go to Target or to Walmart and they would go up to the customer service counter and they would say, do you have any layaways here? Oh yes, sir, we, we have a bunch. And they would put down several thousand dollars and says, I want to cover all the layaways. So that the folks, when they would come, would have no debt to pay. Isn't that amazing? And we'll hear stories like that in this community too. But that's what Jesus did: is that He stepped forward and He paid all of the debt, so that nothing more is owed. Max Lucado writes: He says, "The moment that Mary touched God's face is the moment that God made His case. There is no place He will not go if He is willing to be born in a barnyard. Then expect Him to be at work anywhere." Isn't this cool? Expect him, if he was born in the barn, expect him to be at work in the bars, in the bedrooms, in the boardrooms, in the brothels. No place is too common. No person is too hardened. No distance is too far. There is no person he cannot reach. There is no limit to his love for you and for me. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Folks, this is what it's all about. We're going to sing a song in just a little bit called Mary, Did You Know? And as the song will be played and you'll see the words up on the the song, um, let's look at those words because Mary had no clue what she had in her womb. Before we sing, I want to tell you one more story just in closing. So you capture fully what it must have been for Jesus to come. In the book, in the manger, Max Lucado tells a story. It's in chapter two, which is today. (laughs) And I got the title for this message from Max Lucado, but he tells the story There was a doctor who was a um, uh, cosmetic surgeon, plastic surgeon. He passed away in 1975. His name was um, Maxwell Maltz. Some of you maybe have read some of his books. He was uh, a a positive thinking kind of guy in the books that he wrote. Um, But largely what motivated him to write is that people would come in and ask for his services it was easy for him to discern that much of them were driven that if if this feature of their face could just change, life would be so much better. If these other things could change, oh, I'll be prettier, I'll be happier. And he realized that it's not the outside is what takes place on the inside. And there was a young woman that came to him asking for his help. And she said, Dr. Maltz, my husband was severely burned in a fire trying to rescue his mother and father. And they perished. And he's in great pain and great disfigurement and he's ashamed to go outside. He's ashamed to be around anybody and he sees his scars as God's punishment in his life for his failure to save his mother and his father. And Dr. Maltz says, and it's listed there in the book, he says, well, I can fix that. I can be of help to your husband. He says, no, no, that's not why I came here today. Uh, that's not why I came. Because many have tried to help him. Many have gone to him and he refuses to have, to, to have any help or to listen to anybody. I came, I'm asking you if you would disfigure me. Because I, I, I want to enter into his pain and I'm hoping in doing so, he'll let me back into his life. It's reported as a true story. And Dr. Maltz refused to do that surgery, though he could have. But he went to her home and knocked on her husband's door who he had, knew that guests were coming and so he locked himself into his bedroom. And he knocked on this man's door and he says, Sir, my name is Dr. Maltz. I'm a plastic surgeon. I can be of great help to you. I can I can help your scars. I can fix your scars. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here because your wife came to me and she wants me to make Her look like you, sir. Because she loves you. And she wants back into your life. Book says that there was silence and then slowly the door opened up and the man came through. But folks, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. And it is what he did for you and for me. The dramatic change to walk away from his glory. To walk away from his position. To walk away from all that he enjoyed and had in heaven so that he might be our savior, that we might have a relationship with him and have our debts fully cleared is why he came and why he extends himself to us. And little Mary, she had no clue. She had no clue. I want you to listen to this song and think about what was in little Mary coming for us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Mary had no clue, as any of us would not have had any clue. When we're dismissed, uh, my wife and I will be right here in the front. If you are visiting Big Valley, this is your first time here, my wife and I would love to meet with you and shake your hand, welcome you to our church family. Uh, maybe you came, though, today, and uh, you came carrying and some really big burdens. Uh, I just want to invite you right there in the altar room. We're going to be some wonderful people to pray with you, to encourage you. And maybe you have some questions that we can answer. But uh, don't, don't leave here the same way you came in. Go out in Christ. Let's exalt his name and let's glorify him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Give you the praise and the honor. Lord, uh, I, I keep thinking how no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think, according to Your great power that works within us, Lord, uh, what You're able to do is far beyond what any of us could ever imagine or ever write about. And the fact, Lord, that You would leave Your glory, You would leave Your position, You would You would leave that essence that says, "Man, I'm hungry today," and and experience it, so that You might walk in our shoes, so that You could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that we might be set free from our fears and the works of the devil would be stored in our life, all of those things. Lord, I pray you would help us to be good communicators of your word as we go back to our workplaces, as we go back to our families, as we raise our children our grandchildren. So Lord, that we would would be instruments of your grace to them, that they might truly know in spite of all the stuff that's around us. Lord, this is a sacred time. This is a holy time. There was so much more than a little baby being in a manger. And so, Lord, would you be exalted through us for your glory and give you the praise and the honor as we acknowledge you in awe. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Lord bless you. There's some wonderful things in the foyer. Take advantage of them. Lord bless you. look forward to meeting some of you who are visiting today.